talking yours. Test, test, test. This is a test. This is totally a test. And I'm testing it. Test, is, test. Am I working? Is this working? Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, I've talked to you about it, but I haven't talked to our dearest listeners or dear dear readers. You Um, know what? What makes you think they want to know? Because I need to tell them. I need to tell you something that happened to me that I hated. I hated it so much. And I know it? You know it. All right, I'm going to take a nap then while you tell it. Okay, well, here's the deal. Um, okay, so Quinn has been telling me about this little app called Too Good To Go. Ah, the Too Good To Go controversy story. So okay. I, okay, so it's actually a She's pretty interesting. A local bagel store under, under the bus. Under the fucking bus. And they <laughs> frankly deserve it. They deserve it. They deserve it. I, okay, so Too Good To Go is an app with like really good intentions. They, um, they're usually like bakeries or things that make food for the day. And then at the end of the day, um, you can buy a random package of assorted foods that otherwise would go in the trash. Would go in the trash. It's too good to go. It's too good to go. And so you pay like I've told five them. I've to told ten dollars. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. Well, so I I I signed up for it when Quinn did it because I am easily influenced by the Quinlan sure. Posner. You know, I I trust you, mm-hmm. and um, I was house sitting in the neighborhood. We were neighbors. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. And Why I not? saw a local bagel place, which is down the block, which is really good bagels. I love their bagels. I think they make great bagels, really good stuff. And I'm Agreed. like, oh, too good to go. At the end of the day, they have extra bagels. They're not going to save for the next day. Great. I'm fucking in. So I sign up for it. It says pickup between 3 and 3.30. I get there. They did not look happy to see me. I see them fill up a bag, and what I see is this woman taking some sort of ladle soup something, and I'm like, oh, okay, like I'll get a cup of soup that's going to be thrown out at the end of the day. That sounds fine. And I see her throw some sort of like pastry or something, and I'm like, oh, maybe it's like a cookie. I'm like, oh, weird, no bagels in this bag. She staples it, so I don't see what the contents are. She hands it to me, and she's like, well, actually, I need to see the number. So I show her the number on the thing. I pick it up, and I go home. And I'm pretty excited. You know, I'm like, I'm going to bit some grub. I was hungry. It was late lunch. I open up my fucking <laughs> so bag. Horrible. I open up my bag, and it is two items. An olden days pumpkin pie. <laughs> A pumpkin piece of pumpkin pie that is cold and old. And the crust is falling and off. And covered in mold. It is so flimsy it could fold. I didn't need. I didn't need pumpkin pie. I'm a week out. But you know what? Okay, pumpkin pie. Fine, 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 fine. Let's move on to the soup. Well, wouldn't you know it? It's not fucking soup. It is unflavored oatmeal. <laughs> Some people might call it porridge. I would Some call people it might fucking call it gruel. Prison food. It is prison food. I have like a hunk. And frankly. I paid $5 for this. She could have gotten a bagel with cream cheese and like cucumbers on it. Something delicious. For $5. Total. I could have gotten something I would have actually liked. I was fuming angry. I sent a picture 
I sent Quinn a picture of it immediately she being like, outraged. what the fuck did I just get? Like, I paid them $5 to throw out their food. Frankly, too good to go. No, 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 no. That could have been gone. That was too bad. Should have so sad. You're in the trash. I'm really, really sorry that happened got, to you. And I paid them to throw it out. You got to pay close attention to the ratings because you really should only do a 4.8. That was a 4.0. You and should only, bagel. they're often a 3.9 though. I see them, they drop a lot to 3.9. I really think you gotta do, you know I what's good for you. It. I trust it. And I reached out and I was like, listen, this is bullshit. <laughs> they did credit me this, so I didn't get the money back, but I'm gonna use it towards something else. So I have to give too good to go another fucking shot. I am not pleased. I was not pleased. I get that. There, yeah. You know, I have a worse story. God, no, now I'm really throwing too good to go under the bus, but I did get it once and show up at the place and they were like, yeah, hang on. And then they like looked around and then they came back and they were like, we don't really have anything. And I was like, then why are you on this? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, I mean, I don't know, but we don't really have anything to give you. And I was like, okay. And I did get my money back, but it was like, I went, I like walked over there to get whatever. I don't know. Too good to go. I just, we are not, this is not sponsored. Speaking of too good to handle. It just, again, like unflavored oatmeal. Who goes to a bagel shop and gets hot oatmeal anyway? You know what I mean? Like, why are you even making that? Monsters, serial killers. Why are you making that? So I wanted to tell you that we've been taking the kids around to do a lot of um, holiday cheer items. You've been there for some of them. Wait, we actually didn't talk. We talked a little bit about my hot chocolate fix, but yeah. I think that... um, so we, we, you know, my school does, uh, as you know, a Halloween sort of fair and you buy tickets and you buy, uh, it's $20, you get 20 tickets kind of it's thing. It's Halloween, it's Harvest Night. I harvest say. Night. I'm Thank sorry. You. I apologize. And, yeah, you know, they do, forgiven. oh, it's a ticket to get your face painted or two tickets and it's one ticket for a slice of pizza. It's one ticket for a water bottle. It's one it's ticket one t- for it's a two ticket for chicken. Built slime Suspect and two tickets for the chicken. And sure. So, uh. We went to the very fancy Waldorf School's Christmas fair because it is holiday fair because it is open to all. And, you know, they got ticket stands everywhere and it's a gorgeous school. And Waldorf is so funny. It's so great. Like they they legitimately <laughs> are great. Like you're they're like, we don't believe in right angles and everything's beautiful. And you walk into this auditorium and it just you go, wow, this is really nice school. And there was a... It just feels very Brooklyn, though. Like, we don't believe in right angles. Like, it's a very Brooklyn school. It's very silly. Um, (laughs) People playing taiko drums on the stage, followed by, like, you know, a meditation practice, followed by... And they're just a bake sale and a craft sale. And then there's all these things they've set up for the kids. And I thought it'd be... You know, when we did uh, the Haunted Playground, for instance, at Koa's, it was just their playground, and they'd hung kind of dollar store decorations up and they had a fog machine and they're like it's a ticket i don't know and you're like great here's a ticket that's like, fun a hodgepodge we adorable. love a diy yeah very cute so here they've done the same but they say this is the crystal cave and there is a room you go in and they have transformed the room so that it is literally a cave the ceilings are low and it's all made of white construction paper and cotton and all these things to where it is like what you might see waiting in line at Disney World. It is produced. And you're walking through and there's music and there's gleaming crystals in the walls and on the floor. And you come upon a sandbox and a magical fairy in an insane costume is sitting by it explaining, 
a myth that the kids have made up together and about the lore of the crystals and how you might find them. And there's a sandbox inside this classroom somehow and in this cave. And my kids can dig for crystals and each keep two. And there, there's, I mean, it was wild. And there's another grown up that's volunteering as you keep going through the cave. And he was dealing with Griff and like blessing his crystals. And Griff was like quietly receiving these blessings. Then there was another room you could go in that was called the Undersea Adventure. And it looked again like a Disney World produced experience. <laughs> Absolutely insane where I'm looking around. I don't know how they did this. And the lighting's different and the air quality feels like the sea. They probably have humidifiers blowing into it with like salt in them. And they go in a room and you and there's a wall of hand knit octopuses and each kid can take a hand knit octopus. What? Oh yes. I show you. And and then there's another room where there's a, another sand pit and you could dig for a message in a bottle and each bottle has broken bits of sea glass and sand and a note that'll say like the sea is courage combined with a ravenous appetite for and all the children came up with these messages and wrote them together in our class and that's a lie then you that's a lie there's candle dipping and there's jump rope weaving and everything's made of we dyed this yarn with a lamb that the kids delivered out of its mother and then raised and bottle fed it and then they all said what their feelings were and their auras were and we turned those into the colors that we dip dyed the yarn in and now you can build a jump rope with it now everything is so fucking over the top and everything costs like oh to go in the crystal cave which by as beautiful as it is took my kids maybe four minutes Oh, it's it's seven dollars to go in. Oh, what about the jump rope? Oh, that's fifteen dollars to build. Would you like a, a couple jump ropes? No, I don't want to spend thirty dollars at the damn Christmas fair on like a a seven minute table. Do you want to dip dye a silk scarf or build a wand out of you know magical sticks? And everything just cost a fucking fortune so i was like anxiously like trying to find things you know matt and i are bringing them to like the side yard of the school and the backyard of the school which and everything's so beautiful and well thought out and we go into one of the classrooms because it's free to tour the classroom and there's a dad there talking about well the kids you know we don't we don't do textbooks in this school we have the children make books about things that they've learned and they're made of felt and here's all these felt books if you'd like to take a look and What's this on the wall? And I look over and there's honeycomb on the wall from the bees the kids harvested or whatever, <laughs> you know. And Koa like sticks his finger in it by accident, and, like ruins this. And I'm like running over and I'm like, what? And he's like, what do I do? I just got all this honey on my finger. And I was like, lick it off, man. And he's like, are you serious? And I was like, it's probably the best honey you'll ever taste. We're at a Waldorf school, Koa, and the honey is zero tickets. <laughs> eat it eat the fucking honey and like you go to the bake sale and you're like are there any two dollar bakery items and they're like no we start at four and you're like fuck you so I'm like buying like this little piece of homemade banana bread with you know gorm seed chocolate 
product inside or whatever. I don't know what it's called. You went to the Erewhon cabbage patch. <laughs> you went to the Erewhon of what Christmas carob, carob chips, that's what it is. Jesus. So like, oh God, it was, it, yes, the Erewhon of fucking. <laughs> What's the Erewhon of Brooklyn schools? But I got there's you, no right angles. What was I so did funny is we're right walking angles. around and we're going, wow, wow. And you'll pass a room and it'll be like the thinking room. <laughs> and you'll pass another room and have a sign outside that says like, the weaving room and you know there's all these kind of signs that you're like wow and you're looking in and everything's beautiful like everything is wooden and skylights yeah, they have enough money because they make how much fucking money from well, this christmas fair I thought, I thought why aren't my kids going to this school it's so look at how great it is and then you go and you look at the um like i gotta google how much it fucking is for the half days the half day school for the babies that start there yeah is $37,000 for a year. For the full day kids, it's forty five, And you're like, now I know why my kids don't go here. Somebody's <laughs> writing a $90,000 check so that their kid's not exposed to right angles. Or like that they get to eat carob <laughs> chips instead of pizza. Is this considered a private school or a charter school? Is my private. It's private. That is like, but it's like a farce. Like the idea, like I'm going to oh. tell you, I, I love kids. Children are, you know, Children are our future. Teach them well. Let them lead the way. I don't know if I want to lead them to making their own textbook. I think sometimes people with education degrees maybe should write the textbook. I was but just, call me crazy. I mean, well, it's it's you know what? It's it's an amazing experience, and everyone should be so lucky that they get a touch of it. It's just and it, that's for you at the Christmas. Somehow You'll... there's so much of it that I can't help but love and then there's another part of it that's a portlandia sketch yeah and you're like sure how can you not even see how silly some of this is yeah you know yeah well i i know i i see the silliness also for being so fluffy and hippy dippy how dare you pretty exclusive ask me for 14 dollars for these fucking crystals in this four minute (laughs) experience like how capitalist are you that like shouldn't yeah. this be for everyone um why is the mac and cheese <laughs> well it blows you know because knowing like, 30 tickets but knowing like how you know the harvest fair knowing that and i've not been yet one of these years i will go knowing that that is a fundraiser for that school knowing that that is used as a fundraiser for the school for the little public school for the public that has school, many right angles that has so many right angles and also like needs needs more money you know needs more funding like really the intention of like if i could line my auditorium up next to this auditorium it's just like hysterical right but the thing that's so funny is it's like yeah like i don't know i think it's just like a really um accurate representation of like the the flaws in the system like they're getting forty five thousand dollars a child every year at this school and, and then they're charging and then that charging shit. that much money for i mean for a bake sale. The rich get richer, the poor get poor. Like I, I would imagine that you probably spent more money at this Christmas fair. Equal. I spent twenty at both because I'm very Man, principled about that. You're and good. Matt is too. And we wanted our kids to do more stuff, and we said we don't have the money for more stuff. And that's you know that is and what that's it where is. the cookie crumbles. And we went to play in the outside yard, which cost zero dollars. That were also maybe prohibited. I for people at the fair but here we are we got locked out because uh, we went to a side yard and you're not supposed to be in there and so we got locked in the yard and we played for a very long time there until somebody walked by and i was like banging on the door and then they let us in but 
And I was like, well, that was a free adventure, a zero you know ticket it reminds experience. Me, this is, I think, why we're friends, because I, I feel so strongly, so strongly that this is how I was raised. In fact, I know for a fact this is how I was raised. Like growing up, we would go, me, my Aunt Patty and my my cousins and my mom, and we would all be on vacation together in the spring break, um, which we had like the best time when we were young. And my we would stay on like a hotel that was reasonably priced, maybe like on the cheaper side, because you know what? It's expensive on spring break in Florida, okay? We drove down, yeah. we drove the 20 hours down in the car. Mm-hmm. There were five seats, there were five of us in the car. It was like, or there was no, there was seven yeah, there was seven of us in the car, seven in seats. Five seats. Oh, like, well, this is there is a bit of a, a thing. long way to to we did sit in the trunk. Listen, my my cousins and I did share uh, a seatbelt because someone in the family who will re- remain nameless, Becky, if you're listening, you know who it is, and it's not you. Um, someone got the full middle seat, and then four kids were strapped in the back. Like, remember, like, those minivans? That's hysterical. Do you remember the minivans with, like, a bench seat in the of front? Of course I do. Well, there was someone who I would say is quite particular. Yeah. You oh, might know who I have who no I'm, idea who you could you be no referencing. Idea who, no, no. And so she, so they would get <laughs> the full middle seat. And then we'd be in the back seat. And the two smallest would get wrapped up in one seatbelt and right. sit there for 20 hours. <laughs> what I wanted to say, the whole point of that was, is we would go... To like the the cheaper, affordable hotel. And then my mom and my aunt, they'd go, we're pool hopping. And we'd walk into these like gorgeous resorts mm-hmm. and they would look at us and they would go, just act like you know where you're going. Mm-hmm. And we would just walk in. And my mom did the in. same. We'd my parents did worse. You know what they'd do? We'd go on the slide. It was amazing. No, listen. The places we'd go yeah. were fancy enough that you needed the bracelet. And my parents were like, how are we going to get these kids these bracelets? So they would make a reservation at the restaurant at the resort, and then sneak a peek at where somebody had written what, to make the reservation on the hostess board. It'd be somebody's name like Smith and their room number, 204. So they'd memorize it. My mom would peek no. at it. She'd memorize it, and then she'd go to the bracelet stand with us where you get the towels and the bracelets, and she'd be like, Smith 204 because it would be like yes that checks out that is a correct match of a name in a room and here are your bracelets and then we'd have bracelets and we'd fucking slide our balls off (laughs) (laughs) the question is is when they make reservations at the restaurant would you be invited to or would you and your sisters be sitting outside waiting It's a good question. They probably canceled the reservation after they got the yeah, intel like, they yeah, needed. Okay, and then be like, every, we got sandwiches everybody in gets our bag. Lemonade, everybody gets lemonade. One right. lemonade, if you're lucky, in Arnold Palmer. Right. Uh, so that's, again, this is why Quinn and I, we were raised by the same people. By the way, you're listening to Truly. Darkly. Creepily. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Epema. And you're going first today. Oh, but we, we have two. Patreon. We got a couple Patreon. The first Patreon's is name is wait, Mon Ling. Mon Ling. Mon Ling, Mon Ling, you are so, let's sing a song for you, Mon Ling. If you take out the M and you put in a D, it's modeling. And I bet you're a model, Mon Ling. Who cares how you look because your spirit is beautiful. I actually care, I've got to interrupt and say that I care. And I care about your face and I care about your body. And I hope you're attractive, is that really naughty? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Tis the season, motherfuckers. Quinn is 
Quinn turns into the most shallow bad person. Are you hot or are you not, Mom Link? Because I think you are hot and you're a hottie, and that's all we care about here at Julie Does Your Body. Listen, you're a hottie because you gave me a change. (laughs) And I'll never change. I won't rearrange my values. We don't ask you. We don't ask you to. Okay. How about Rianon? Rianon, you're not a QAnon fan. (laughs) Rianon, I wish I I could say your last name. I think it's Rianon. Rianon is better than (laughs) Rianon. I think you're right. You know what? I think you're right. We got to cut her last name, but can I tell you her last name? Wait, Quinn, you called her Rianon. Like, you thought someone's name was Rianon? Who said that? Me. And and Fleetwood Mac. Rianon. Okay, oh my God. We're going to have to cut her last name because of privacy. (laughs) Privacy or privacy? Oh, that's a great last. Wait a minute. We're going to bleep it, but I got to say Rhiannon. Great last name. Rihanna. <laughs> Is this Rihanna? Oh my god. Oh my god. Um Rihanna and Rihanna fired like a cannon straight to my heart. It really made me fart. You knew I was gonna go there because I don't art. care. <laughs> because it's art. Our kind of art that we make. I bet you wish that we would take a break, but, but we're we not because we love to eat steak. <laughs> See you next Friday. Why next Friday? That's just that's when the episodes drop. So. <laughs> See you next Friday, bro. I'm sorry, I'm still dead over <laughs> Rianon. We have been infiltrated by QAnon so hard. We've been when you infiltrated said Rianon, by Rianon. I, I'm sorry, but Rhiannon, I actually really love that name. And are you named after Quinn just smelled her pits? Do you smell? Or are you good? No, I actually smell really good. I feel like you don't smell. That's Not usually. I'm going to be showering here today. Are you okay with that? I'm comfortable with it. Would you like to shower in the new shower? I feel like that one is paint, so I don't know if I can. You tell me where I can shower. Oh, yeah, maybe you want to do the new one, because I actually, I don't know where it's wet and dry in that other bathroom <laughs> right now. All I know it sounds I- disgusting, but I'm painting, folks, so relax. Quinn is doing a, did you do a before and after? This is also part of my midlife crisis, by the way. But I'm like, did you do this wallpapering and painting thing? Wait, where are you wallpapering? I'm gonna do a wall in that room. Oh, which one are you? What are you doing? Um, I think it's gonna be this. I don't want to move this. I'm too scared. Don't. don't. You know what? I'll screenshot it and text you. (laughs) Um, Going wow, you're so technologically advanced. (laughs) I just I know how to do that kind of stuff, so I'll do it. Um. This is what I'm thinking of doing, and it's called 1920s Speakeasy is the name of the wallpaper, which kind of a pretentious wallpaper name, but I think I might do one wall that. Are you looking at it? Or are you like Googling (gasps) how to succeed in friendship without really trying? Well, I know how to do that. That's what I do in my life. Oh my God, I really like that. And that's like, that feels very on brand. I like, it says 1920s Speakeasy. I want to be very clear. It feels more like geometric Floral. Well, Sunflower. I'm gonna, I, after I do the wallpaper, I'm going to hide the door. I'm going to make the door look like a jukebox or something. <laughs> <laughs> How good would that be? <laughs> if I just like turned that room into a speakeasy? Quint, listen, what I here's what I do know is that Quinn eventually is going to make every room an escape room. <laughs> Agree. And that's just 
just she's gonna come over and be like, "Do you want to go over to Quince?" Right. So um, the bedroom's here, the bathroom's here, and the escape room is there. So if you want, I can lock you in for an hour. Great with that being. Quinn, do it. All right. You have the space. Don't ask me twice. Oh my god, incredible! I really like that wallpaper. Thank you. I spent only seven hours looking at wallpaper to determine that I liked it. So wait, did the did the paint of the wallpaper come after the news of Hunter? Yes. All I've been doing since I found out about Hunter is like painting wallpaper and buying tickets to Portugal. I'm sort of like, are you okay? No. Getting you know dicey. what? It's I got pretty dicey. I knew the answer before I asked the question. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it? No. I. <laughs> I have a confusion at this point in my life, which is the middle of my life, <laughs> as to what will come next and who I might be, and it feels oh. a little in the crisis realm of things. <laughs> We're so. circling the drain of the midlife crisis. Thank you for going a roundabout way Getting of describing that. very dizzy. So I think that rather than do the responsible thing, I always look to do the least responsible thing when disappointed. So I am like a child that didn't get my way. I, I feel like I was, I, I said to Jamila. You're painting and wallpaper. This is what and I said to Jamila about irresponsible thing Well, I said to Jamila, I go, well, if you think about it, it's sort of like I already am having a crisis because I'm 40 and I'm saying I want to change everything about what I do and start a new career. And that's very scary because you have to be this age and go, I don't have any history of this. My resume will prove to you that I know nothing about it. My schooling history will prove to you I know nothing about it. And it, I would like to get on to square one and get being on square one at this age when there are a lot of people on the same square 20 years younger is an intimidating, weird place to be to begin with. Mm -hmm. But then for someone to say, we don't want you, you're like, but it's square one. And they're like, we don't want you on this square. And you're like, but it's just it's square one. Can't I just get on square one? And they're like, no, that is frustrating because I want to kind of blaze to square six, like jet on over as quickly yeah. as humanly possible. And so any barrier to entry right now is crazy because I was also applying for an 18-month program to be like, let's get this fucking done. And now the delay means if I go the MSW route, I will now not start school till September, months and months after this January start date. And it will probably be a two-year program, months and months longer. And it's just like the goal and where my mind is at. It's not, I'm not going to school to learn. Forgive me for saying so. And I'm not going to school because I think it will be fun or yeah. make me a better You're person. You're doing it to get a job I'm going done. going to school to get a job. And when the job thing gets pushed so much further away, it starts to feel overwhelming yeah. where it's like, Cool, cool, cool to think in three short years, I could be making a paycheck. That's like, holy fuck. And so the right thing to do when you feel that way is to paint and buy tickets to (laughs) Portugal. Quinn, you know, a couple things, and I don't, and if this doesn't help, ignore me, obviously. But, you know, you did get into two programs, so it wasn't that you were... Two programs I would never have accepted... (laughs) the offer from because they were so expensive. I I basically had two um, vanity programs that I applied to (laughs) so that if I didn't get into the one I wanted, I could do what I'm doing, which is tell people, just so you know, (laughs) 
I did get in. Well, a allow me to remind spots. you, you did get another spot. So you are capable and you will be whatever. It's, oh, I'm sorry. I'm very capable of emotionally creating like safety pads for myself <laughs> because I know how fragile my ego is. So I'm like, I got to line these up. And I'm going to have to do that again with this next round of applications. Pick a few safety schools that are safety, not because they're easy to get into, but because if you apply to enough places, you can then brag about getting into people even when you're not doing anything with your life other than turning your back bedroom into a speakeasy. Moving on. In the words of Carrie Epima, moving on. And we're moving on. Okay, so um, I guess I go first this week. You are so lucky. No, I'm excited for the speakeasy. Ooh, and you know what we could do? <gasps> it should be like a little reading room and yoga studio and do some chairs in there so you could have a yoga studio. But also, like, if you want, like, adult little gossip time, you'd be like, would you like to step into my office? You know what I need is, like, movie theater chairs because it's not that big a space. Yeah. I need them to, like, fold into the wall. <laughs> Like subway chairs. That's what I'm picturing. Like subway chairs or movie theater chairs where you sit and they're down and then you sit up and they fold away into the wall. Oh, this is going to be a fun room though. I can't wait to have a cocktail little martini in there. We can do that today, believe it or not, even without <gasps> the wallpaper. Oh yeah, Quinn and I are going to my work party today and I'm going to do Quinn's hair tonight. Quinn, we're going to, I'm going to, we're going to. You might be thinking we have more time than we do, but let's see what happens. Never say never. <laughs> okay. So um, I'm doing this story and I got it from. And it's the story of too good to go. I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> really not over it. Hey. I got this information from all that's interesting.com stories. <laughs> what an incredible website name. The New Indian Express, Wikipedia, CBS, and CBS News, and CBS News. Okay, this story takes place in Anchorage, Alaska, because all creepy stories do. Yes, the best ones. Want to know why? <laughs> because Alaska is a huge fucking place, and Anchorage is the largest city. But less than 10% of the total square footage is populated. So like wow. Alaska is like... It's the ocean. Yeah. It's the unknown. It's, it's the crazy. Wilderness. Well, actually, it's interesting. When Alaska was purchased, which I don't know if you know this history. This is not about this story, but I just find it really interesting. So initially, Russia had Alaska. A Russia owned Alaska. And they did not want to sell it to England because they were mad at England, so they sold it to the U.S. And they sold it before they knew oil was on it. And I want to be very clear, we're talking about land that was already populated by indigenous people, by native folks. And so it's really fucked that we're talking about this, but here we are. And they sold, Russia sold it to the U.S. for like a dollar a mile at the at that time. But it's a shit ton of miles, so it was very expensive. And the person who like managed it, the Secretary of State, was this guy. I don't remember his name, but they... He bought it and they called it his folly because it was like, oh, you fucked up. Like you bought this land that is essentially useless. And then they found oil and it became. And yetis. And yetis. Anywho, so that's just like a little information about Alaska. But Alaska, 10% of it. I mean, I I think this was in regards to Anchorage being Mm -hmm. 10% of Anchorage is populated. But maybe it's 10% of Alaska. I don't know the difference. Either way, it is like a, it is a heaven for people who want to do shit off the fucking radar. Like when I went and toured there, they're like, yeah, everybody flies their seaplane. Nobody has their pilot license Mm -hmm. and they do it drunk. Like it's just kind of like the wild, wild west up there in a lot of ways. So it's 2012 and I want to introduce you to Samantha Koenig. Samantha Koenig is 18 years old and she's a barista in Anchorage. She works at the Common Grounds Coffee Shop in Anchorage. One night she is working, February 1st, 2012. 
It's just before 8 p.m. And it's February, so it's fucking dark, right? It's up there. She's working at the drive-thru at the Common Grounds coffee shop. And this guy walks up to her window in disguise. He has a revolver in his hand, and he tells her it's a robbery, and she has to turn off the lights. There is footage of this from the coffee shop. I only saw a still. But you see her with her arms up. She listens to him. She turns the lights off, thinking it's just a holdup. Once the lights are off, he reaches in, he binds her hands, he stuffs napkins in her mouth, and he forces her into his pickup truck. Once she's in the pickup truck, he drives her to his house and says he's going to hold her only for ransom. It is six hours after he's initially abducted her. He takes her debit card or cell phone, so she still thinks that she's going to be held for ransom, and he moves her from his truck to his tool shed, where once she's in the tool shed, he ties her by the neck, and he enters his home, leaving her in the shed by herself. Mm-hmm. She still believes she's going to she's being held for ransom. Mm-hmm. So the guy in question, the man who has kidnapped her, is this guy, Israel Keys. He lives in Anchorage with his girlfriend, Kimberly, and their 10-year-old daughter. So he goes inside. He checks on his daughter, his girlfriend, and he makes sure he makes sure that they are asleep at 2 o'clock in the morning. He pours himself a glass of wine, and he goes back out into the shed. What we know is what he has told us. He says that he has a glass of wine in front of tied-up Samantha, and he tells her that he is going to rape her, and then strangle her to death with the rope that is already tied to her, that is already tied around her neck. And then he does just that. After he rapes her and murders her, he goes back into his home. He packs a bag for him. He packs a bag for his daughter. Three hours later, at five o'clock in the morning, he calls a cab, and him and his family fly to New Orleans for a two-week cruise to the Caribbean. And he leaves her body in his tool shed. He leaves her body in his tool shed. The Unreal. next day... This is so scary. It's like that really people's scary. brains can do things like that. Yeah. The next day, Samantha's family notice she's gone, and they report her missing. While it is the largest city in Alaska, there is not a huge presence of specialty investigators to find Mm -hmm. someone who is missing like this. So the FBI descends on Anchorage and they begin to look for Samantha. They're looking everywhere. They're looking at records. Israel Keys is not a name of interest on the list. Mm -hmm. His home is never checked. They are looking in vain for their daughter. They are looking in vain for Samantha Koenig because she is already dead. He returns from this cruise on February 17th, where she has been in the shed the whole time. No one is any wiser. No one is on to him. And so he gets an idea where, you know what? He could possibly make some money. He sees how worried her family is. He threatened that she could be used for ransom. And he thinks, you know what? I'm going to do just that. He is going to reach out to her family to ask for money and the return for the return of their daughter. But he wants to tell the family that she is alive. And so he needs a proof of life photo. What he does is he sews open her eyes with fishing wire 
he puts makeup on her face and he poses her with her back against the tool shed with a newspaper from that day. He braids her hair. A week after, he texts her boyfriend from her phone and he instructs him to look for a package in a local park. Once they get this package, the Anchorage police find the photo of her where she looks alive and instructions for $30,000 to be deposited into her bank account. Her parents pay it immediately. Meanwhile, Israel dismembers her body and disposes of her body in a lake outside of Palmer, Alaska. The funds are deposited in her account and immediately the police are tracking this account, right? Mm -hmm. They know that the kidnapper has this, but they don't have their daughter. Once the debit card starts pinging, they see it is pinging in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas, and they realize that the suspect is traveling along Interstate 10. Mm -hmm. And they have footage from him withdrawing it from the bank, and they see he has a mask on. Mm -hmm. There's not many other identifying qualities, except in one of the videos, they can see a white Ford Focus in the back. Mm -hmm. So now that they have a car, they have sort of where his whereabouts are, they're able to say, okay, we can put out... Um, to all the police in the area. If a bolo? You see, a bolo. What is a bolo? That. They put out a bolo. And so now there's a car that they can spot. So on March 13th, a month and a half after she disappeared, a Texas state trooper sees the car in a hotel parking lot. He's looking at the car in the parking lot and he's like, I'm just going to watch this. I'm going to wait till the owner leaves. So he does like sort of like an impromptu stakeout. He sees the owner get out, get in the car, and he just starts tailing him. And as soon as the car just goes one fucking mile over the speed limit, he now has the right to pull him over. Mm -hmm. He pulls him over, and they find a way for him to search the car. Once this uh, Texas state trooper searches the car, he finds Samantha's debit card, her cell phone, and they see the disguise that they saw mm-hmm. on the ATM cameras. They also see cash stained with bright ink, like it had been affected by a dye pack. They arrest Israel Keys, and eventually he confesses that she was dead the whole time. Mm-hmm. And a couple days later, they're able to discover her body. He is then psychologically tested. They find that his intelligence is between average and high, and he has no mental health difficulties. And then he starts cooperating even more. And with that, he reveals that he is in fact someone who has been active for a long ass time. While he's confessing his many crimes, many murders, he states that he wants to be executed within a year. He also says that he wants to avoid anyone knowing his name because he doesn't want any publicity, because he doesn't want any negative attention to go on his young daughter. As soon as his name is released to the media, Mm -hmm. he stops cooperating cooperating with the police. Okay, we're going to get into a lot of this. Because once it's his name, he's like, I don't want you to know all the shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's like that. He has like self-preservation when it comes to his daughter. But he has been operating all across the U.S. for years in a way where we're going to get into a lot of his other victims and it feels like Samantha Koenig is the outlier because the fact that he lives there is so rare. He never really kills where he lives. And the fact that he targeted someone from his hometown. Yeah, why did he do that? 
I don't know if it was because a... he really seems like he planned it, right? Mm-hmm. Like he went to that coffee shop at night knowing what he was going to do. And like right before he was leaving town, possibly. So while he's awaiting for trial in May of 2012, he tries to escape from the courtroom. He breaks the leg irons, but again, his, his attempt is unsuccessful, which we love an embarrassing escape attempt. Like, I want you to look like a fucking fool. What he had done was he used wood shavings from a pencil to pick his cuffs. And so U.S. Marshals had to taser him to subdue him. He is confessing as much as he could, but again, he stops cooperating when the media gets attention. December 12th, 2012, less than a year after he murdered Samantha, he had concealed a single razor blade. And while in prison, he killed himself awaiting trial. So her family never got justice. And a lot of his victims' names and information died along with him. He did leave behind in his cell, he did leave behind um, a note. Um, he mm-hmm. called it an ode to murder, but it had no clues about other possible victims. But also under his bed, they found 11 drawn skulls, like separate images of skulls that, had, that, were, um, that were drawn with his own blood labeled, we are one. So police or officials believe that this is his total number of victims because he was a serial killer. All right, let's go into his backstory. Um, Before his arrest for the murder of Samantha, Mm -hmm. on his record, he just had a DUI. He had no crimes of violence in his history. Um, He had no sex offenses. He had a successful construction business in Anchorage. But the police believe he had a total of 11 victims. So I'm going to go into some of his history. (laughs) He is born in Utah. His parents are members of the LDS. His father then leaves uh, Church of Latter-day Saints, Mormon. His father leaves the LDS, and then they move to Washington, where he was, when he was five years old, they moved. And Mm -hmm. I think his dad, it, it appears that his dad was pretty paranoid because where they lived, where he set up his family, they were really isolated from society. In fact, they were in a one-room cabin without electricity or running water. Um, They joined a church that was very outspoken about practicing white supremacist Mm -hmm. Christian theology. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we know it's gonna, we know it's coming, but from a young age, he started torturing animals. He started fires. He would break into houses, all for fun, all for power, all for fun. He was raised in a very ultra-religious world, um, but once he was in his teenage years, he declared his atheism, and then his parents shunned him for it. The whole family followed suit. So this is someone who was like a bad egg, who was in a bad situation, and his family completely ignored him, completely shunned him. He was cut off completely from his family. While in prison, or while he was, you know, he admitted to having committed violent crimes as early as 1996. He was caught in 2012. So he okay. So he admits time. to like being in Oregon. There was a teenage girl who was with her family. He admits to sexually assaulting her. He planned to murder her as a part of a satanic ritual, but he let her go and at that point and he never names her name. I don't know, you know, this happened in 96. I don't know if this girl just like left I don't know what happened to her. We don't know who she is. 
but it feels very fortunate that she escaped with her life because he just let her go and he Mm -hmm. said he was never going to do that again. He enlisted in the army in 1998 and while he was in the army, he told his army friend that he wanted to kill him. He would drink heavily. Mm -hmm. Um, He was, that's where he was arrested for a DUI. That's the only thing that's on his record. He would go on to receive an Army Achievement Medal for his service as a gunner from 1998 to 2001, and he was honorably discharged from the Army in 2001. Mm -hmm. So part of his MO, which it's hard to say it's an MO, but what he would do and what I think made him so successful for so many years as a serial killer is that he did not have a perfect victim. He did not have someone he targeted he targeted anyone and everyone. Mm-hmm. It was just like whenever opportunity would strike, he would take it, um, which makes him really hard to track because he doesn't have a victim profile. There is no connections to his victims. He would do this thing where he would drive around the U.S. and he would have these murder kits, um, a kill cache as he called them, and he would bury them in towns. Like he would go and he'd buy a kit of a bunch of stuff at like a Walmart or whatever, and then he'd bury it hidden somewhere Mm. in remote places, in the forest, in the woods, in like areas that people wouldn't find it. Mm -hmm. In fact, spoiler alert, they're still finding these kill caches that they believe are his. And so he wouldn't have, there wouldn't be anyone making suspicious purchases around the time someone goes missing. Right. So he would purchase something and no leave one's it, like, go. did anybody buy like a tarp exactly three months ago and a month before that yeah. buy a knife? And like, these would yeah. be like years that he would plot this because he was wow. a construction worker. He would just like put them all the place and then he would return, grab the kits and kill someone. So scary. He would put in months of planning um, before he would commit a crime. He would go to campgrounds, isolated places. He preferred strangulation. But he said he would use guns only when he had to. He would get pleasure from seeing loss of consciousness. He says he claimed not to kill children or parents of children because of his daughter, who he feared finding out about him. But the police and FBI investigators are very skeptical of that claim because they believe he did kill several teenagers and children. Mm-hmm. He didn't admit to murder while he was in the U.S. Army, but he did. Um, but he did admit to attempted rape of women two times: once a sex worker in Egypt, mm-hmm. and one with a college student in Israel. Mm-hmm. After his discharge in 2001, that's when they believe his killing spree started. In addition to many bank robberies, he would go on to kill, I think, about ten people in the U.S. Mm-hmm. He would also. Um, burn 20 to 30 homes, and he would rob several banks between 2001 and 2012. He practiced primarily in, um, or he would, uh, I think they have him in places like Washington, New York, Vermont, and Florida. He would typically travel to commit these murders, which I think is what makes Samantha such an outlier and would eventually lead to his arrest. Let me go through some victims. We have... Julie Marie Harris, she is 13 years old. She is a Special Olympics medalist in skiing from Colville, Washington. She is a double amputee. Mm -hmm. She disappeared March 2nd of 1996, and her remains were found in 1997, a few miles from where she went missing. Now, to be clear, Keyes says he didn't start killing until 2001, but as you know, these victims 
well, are before that. And so, and the, this like this one is not confirmed. Mm. Keys would have been 18 at the time. And when he was questioned about her death in 2012, he neither confirmed nor denied that he mm-hmm. had any involvement. And I do think that because he had claimed he never killed a child or people with children, I think he was lying <laughs> about the murders that he did yeah. perpetrate on children. Yeah. There is Cassandra Cassie Emerson, who is 12 years old, who is also from Coville, Washington, the same place that Julie Marie Harris is from. Her remains were found in 1998, just 13 miles from her home. Her mother, who was 29, her remains were discovered in a burned trailer in 1997. Mm -hmm. So they found her mother's remains in a burned trailer, and then a year later they found her daughter's remains 13 miles from home. Keyes admitted that his first act of arson was a trailer in Colville. So that aligns with both of those murders. Keyes admitted to killing five people in Washington State. He claims that he either burned or submerged a victim near near Bay, Washington. And while a body was found there around the time that he says he was that he had killed someone around there, there was a body that was found, but it was ruled as accidental. Mm-hmm. Which if he is submerging them, I would assume that maybe it's listed as accidental. He confesses to a double homicide of a young couple between 2001 and 2005. He says he beat the male and strangled the female, um, and he buried both victims. And a lot of these people are not found. They're not identified. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot of guessing work. Between 2005, 2006, he said he had two more victims. Um, I found some of his victims as Bill and Lorraine Courier, and they were killed in 2011. Another possible victim is this Lewis County Jane Doe, who was a woman found in Washington in 2011 by a passing motorist. And by 2022, she was formally identified, but her identity was not publicly revealed. Keyes confessed to killing at least one person in New York State, but authorities couldn't determine any other information, but said that it seemed credible. Then we go on to the Boca Killer. The Boca Killer is a series of 2007 crimes that they believe he is the main suspect in. The first is we have Randy Ann Malitz Gorenberg. She was 52 years old and she was abducted from a mall parking lot. And within an hour, her body was dumped at another location and she died from two gunshot wounds. Five months later, an unidentified woman claims that she and her young son were approached at the same mall. Um, the ID to person that, that generally matches Key's description. Mm-hmm. And then four months after that, Nancy Bochicchio, who's 47, and her seven-year-old daughter, Joey Bochicchio Hauser, they were shot just four months later after that kidnapping. So it's like we have the Boca killer. Mm-hmm. There are three cases that all operated on the same time. Mm-hmm. And they believe that it's Key's description. They believe that it was him. But again, he died. We'll never know. Deborah Fellman is 48 years old. She is a sex worker in New Jersey. Um, she went missing. And what they found on Key's computer was after they took the computer in 2012, they looked at his computer and they found that he had searched her. his computer for her. Yeah. For her case, yeah. Yeah. And when they showed him an image of her, he said, I don't want to talk about her yet. Okay. Well, there that is, does sound like it's him. <laughs> there is Maddie, Madison Maddie Geraldine Scott, and this is near British Columbia, which is not far from Alaska. And she was last seen in the early morning hours, and her remains were found in May 2023. 
so recently. Again, he was he he died in 2012. They found her remains. They believe like he was en route on the way to Alaska and he went to a campground. Um, he says he told investigators, he told police that he would let the victims come to him in some remote location. Um, and he traveled to Canada extensively. Um, and when he asked and he, when he was asked about whether he had killed anyone in Canada, he said Canadians don't count. Rude. We love Canadians in this family. Um, we obviously they count have, twice. They count fact. twice. Double. A toonie. A loonie and a toonie. That's what they call their dollar and two dollar coins. Aww. A loonie and a toonie in Canada. See, everything they do is great. Obviously, we have Samantha Keenig, which was February 1st. We have someone else in between Samantha and when he was found um, and arrested, which mm-hmm. was James Jimmy Lamar Tidwell Jr., who's an electrician who disappeared in Texas February 15th, 2012. Now, I don't know where his crews let off, but they mm-hmm. believe he's a main suspect in this. They believe that Jimmy was taken after he finished the night shift at like 530 in the morning and then very quickly after, there was a bank robbery in the area. And the person who they believe to have committed this bank robbery was, in fact, Keys. And why they think it he is connected that he's connected to this disappearance is because at the bank robbery, Keys is wearing a hard hat that is similar to Tidwell's. Right. And they also said that, oh, this is this grosses me out. They said Tidwell's hair also resembled a dark haired wig. Worn by Keys during the robbery. Jesus. When they interrogated Keys, he said that his wig was in fact human hair. When asked how he obtained the human hair, Keys said he didn't want to talk about it, but he said, you don't have to buy real hair to get real hair. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it either. Okay, great. Um, There are more cases that they are trying to connect to Keys, including Alexis Patterson, who disappeared at the age of seven in Milwaukee in 2002, because they found on Keys' computer that he would look up victims on NAMUS, which is the National Missing and Unidentified Person System on his laptop, along with like Deborah Fellman, how he was like searching for her. Mm -hmm. He also searched for Alexis Patterson. He also had kill kits in Wisconsin. So we know that like he Mm -hmm. had those kill caches there. Mm-hmm. So it's possible. There also are eyewitnesses that said when Alexis Patterson was abducted that they saw a red truck and he had a red truck at the time. But experts say that's a bit of a stretch because it might have been, you know, the wrong make and model. What's significant about Keys is that he idolized other serial killers before him. He idolized Ted Bundy. And even when he tried to escape in court, he was attempting Bundy's escape in court. The difference was is he did not like media attention. I also thought this was interesting because we covered the Butcher Baker, another Alaskan serial killer that we covered in Crime of a Lifetime. Mm-hmm. And when they asked Keys about this, he said, yeah, I know all about him. I probably know every single serial killer that's ever been written about. It's kind of a hobby of mine. So it seems that he was a copycat in a lot of ways, and he idolized these serial killers. And that is Israel Keys. The serial killer who we don't know the the full total of his victims. Mm-hmm. I think the eleven skulls he drew would imply that that he has ten or eleven victims, mm-hmm. um, because again, underneath one of the skulls he wrote, "We are one." Which I'm curious if he had ten victims and he counted himself as eleven. But again, mm-hmm. like he started talking, and then when his name got out, he just stopped. And so there's so much we don't What's know. What's going on with his kid? I don't know. I 
I have, to me, that felt less interesting. And also, like, I don't think that kid, that kid now has to know this. Yeah, it's just so hard. About their I dad. Mean, and I and I impossible to live with. It's just, I think what's so scary about that is how he, like, had, he did have awareness of what he did because he didn't want it to reflect poorly on his kid. Like, that, I think, is the darkest. I mean, I'm sure they protected her from it for a while, but she's now got to be, like, 20 or something. I'm oh, sure yeah. she knows. Like... <laughs> That's just another angle on the many ways he made victims out of people. Oh, my God. Totally. She's such another victim. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I can't like and again, the like it is interesting that he decided to attack in his hometown. Like he could have gone. Mm -hmm. He could have gone for for much longer Mm -hmm. if he had continued. And again, like there are parts of there were news stories that were talking about him that are like. If you find a bucket with this stuff in it near call you, us. call it's, us. Do not touch it because there would be like we know, guns. We and know who that is. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and and the and the like, the planning he would do. He would go visit somewhere. He'd rent a car. He'd deposit these kill caches, these kill kits, and yeah. he'd leave. And so when I go through the victims or what we know, what we can assume are these victims, it's like, you know, people don't think maybe he's related to the Alexis Patterson disappearance. At the same time, like he's searching for her, but it does seem like he was also obsessed with with serial killers. I was the what drew me to this story was the 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 proof of life photo. Yeah, the fact shocking. that he absolutely shocking had used the her body that way. Yeah, I mean, it's horrific. totally it's disgusting. It's vile. It's reprehensible. I and then to find out that like this ended like over a decade mm-hmm. of of murders that we will never know. Yeah, the extent who, of. Like, mm-hmm. there, like not many of, he didn't admit, he admitted to like a couple. Mm-hmm. And so I think people have like searched, but even like his admitted, be like, I think I killed someone here. They're like, this body was found, but it said but it was accidental. They like they body. can't even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we don't even know the names. And I'm like curious if we've covered some of the cases where he would have been responsible totally. for it. I mean, I'm not, I'm just glad he was caught. You know, I'm glad that he his greed got the better of him, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. if he didn't hold her body for ransom, like, who knows if he would still be active. Mm-hmm. But he killed himself. What a fucking coward. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he clearly had respect for life because he cared deeply about his daughter and then just a fucking liar. Well, probably didn't really care about his daughter it was like an ego extension of himself yeah yeah well thanks for telling that horrible story i'm sorry it was really bad it was really bad i'll never forgive you my story today is brought to you by the new york times wikipedia (laughs) www.bellwitch.org oh the tennessean and that's a great article by Katie Nixon. Tennessee has some really good stuff. Really good article. Katie Nixon, great job. Um, and what I liked was I got some stuff from Alice Obscura about this. It's sort of a folklore thing we're getting into here. Um, but what Alice Obscura said about it is it lingers not just because it's a good ghost tale, but because it's built around a series of anxieties that have come to define much of American culture. About what happens when a patriarch loses control of his family, when religions come into conflict, and what takes place out on the borderlands between civilization and the wild. Also, a paranormal investigator, Ben Radford, was like, this shows how easily 
legend and myth can be mistaken for fact and real events because it a little bit is held as a real event in many ways. The, one of the reasons I think it's given so much ground is that there were so many witnesses and people that said they heard things or saw things that corroborate that this really happened. So let's talk about The Haunting of the Bell Witch, which is a story about a witch or a ghost <laughs> that actually commits a murder. This starts in 1817. Ooh, Put yourself ooh, it's there. after the War of 1812. The Bell family. Are is, they in America? They're living a peaceful life. I can't remember. Yeah, they're in America. Wow. New nation. The Bell family, they are, It's this was funny, actually. It was like, they lived a peaceful life. And then I read they had six kids. And I was like, no, they didn't. No, um, they probably like spread it out so that the kids are raising the kids. Well, you don't live a peaceful life if you have six kids. I don't believe you. And then it gets way less peaceful because uh, John Bell, the patriarch of the family, is out on the property and sees some kind of mythical beast, essentially a body of a dog, head of a rabbit, and it tries to shoot it, but then it runs away. And then later his son, Drew, is like, that's weird. I saw a really crazy bird enormous like the size of a human out there on our fence and then his daughter betsy is like well i saw a girl in a green dress swinging from an oak tree and everybody's like these seem like strange things to see out here on and the she farm. had a ribbon around her neck <laughs> she said i'll tell you later what happens when i untie it but marry me first koa read that book for the first time this week really and, and then he told me the story which was so cute the way he told it ask him to tell it to you later it's very okay. cute um, and then one of their slaves, or uh, how they said was a person enslaved maybe, by the Bell family. Well, maybe maybe that's why they led a fucking peaceful life, because they didn't have to do fucking work, and they enslaved people. They didn't people. have to do fuck all. Well, <sighs> he's like, when I go home at night, there's a huge black dog following me. And so everyone's seen apparitions or animals that feel like they're not behaving like animals. The, it, people's blinks are going off, and... Everything starts escalating where there are uh, knocks all over the house and there's the sound of something gnawing the the uh, bedposts and stuff. And you're like, oh, and they can hear dogs fighting, chains being dragged, like crazy sounds in this house that they're like, what the hell? And then John's like, I'm feeling paralysis in my mouth. I guess he didn't say that because if you had that feeling, you wouldn't say that thing. It'd be very hard to say it. He signs it. I don't know what happens. He is having that. I've never had paralysis in the mouth. No, nope. <laughs> Wish you would sometimes. I afflict you. Where's the bell witch when you need her? Um, <laughs> but like, then the witch is going after the kids and like pinching them and like hurting them while they're in bed and like slapping them and Betsy gets it the worst and she'll have like marks on her face, like hand marks on her fucking face and welts. And so they they don't tell anybody at first, but it it gets so crazy that John tells his friend James Johnston, James Johnston, he's like, James Johnston, you're not going to believe what's going on at my house. It's crazy. And he tells him and James Johnston is like, no way. Let me come for a sleepover party. And he does. <laughs> and he's like, you're right. This is legit happening. The sounds are crazy. And this is, he's like, this is crazy, John. It's like a spirit from like the Bible. And he's like, no, I know. It's really, really crazy. And then John Johnston's, <laughs> James Johnston's son, John Johnston. It's really hard. Ready for this? James Johnston 
His son, John Johnston, is like, listen, John Bell, I also have something to report, which is that I have a test for the witch. I'm going to ask the witch something no one outside my family would know. And then he's like, what? (laughs) What would my Dutch step-grandmother in North Carolina say to the slaves if she thought they did something wrong. And the witch replies, hut tut, what has happened now? And he's like, damn it, that's exactly what she would say. (laughs) She would totally say hut tut, what has happened now? Fucking, who says hut tut? I guess it's 1817. Some Dutch grandma would say hut tut. So hut tut, by the way, (laughs) if I buried the lead in that one, yes, the ghost fucking talks. And they'll ask the ghost, they'll be like, who are you? What do you want? And they'll hear a voice that says, I am a spirit. I was happy once, but I've been disturbed. And they're like, oh, sorry. Like, who disturbed you? What's going on? But the ghost is a fucking liar. And so the ghost will be like, this happened. And then the next day be like, psych, this happened. And you're like, what? What? Like, it's like the ghost is having How are they communicating with this ghost? Just talking. Just hearing the voice and the ghost sounds like an old woman and will just like tell them things. And one day she's like, so I actually I'm a spirit and I'm buried in the woods nearby. And then everything got like disturbed because it's like a Native American burial ground situation. And they're like, oh, totally. And she's like, but actually my tooth got lost under this house that you guys built. And I just I really need my tooth. So then John's like, right. So they like pull up all the floorboards and they're like looking for the damn tooth and they like tear apart this house and then the witch just starts laughing and she's like you guys I was kidding <laughs> do you like this the bell witch, witch kind like, of the bell witch kind of sounds like an asshole like, I, like, oh my God, but like just a dick and they're like who are you and then at one point they're like are you Kate Batts who's like this woman that legit lives in their community and is an older woman and she's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then like later is like, no. But they call her Kate a lot of the time. And a lot of people will be like, it's Kate Batts. It's totally Kate Batts who is a witch and like found a way to do all these things. Um, which is because Kate Batts is a local unmarried woman. And it's just really a misogynistic like <laughs> twist to the story where they're like, what could that old bitty be doing other than haunting us? And you're she like, she's probably so knitting. Leave her alone. She's probably actually living a peaceful life is what she's doing. What's crazy is that the bell witch seems to be able to do things that a human obviously couldn't do. I mean, it's a witch, it's haunting people. But at one point, she tells them word for word two sermons that happened in town, in different parts of town. Like she's able to quote sermons that took place that day at the same time. Mm. So it's like she's all knowing. She can be anywhere And she's very argumentative. Um, That's just a trait of hers. She likes to tell them, like, gossip about, like, what's going on in other people's houses and, like, who said what to who and what's going on. And, like, she's kind of just, like, stirring the pot. Like, she's bored. A lot of people obviously hear this story. It starts to travel near far wide. And there's a lot of skeptics. One skeptic guy shows up and is like, I'm here to investigate. And they're like, okay. And... He starts talking out loud about his family because he's an Englishman. And he's like, my family back in England. Then the witch in that moment starts to mimic them, his family. 
And it sounds just like them. And he's like, what the fuck? And then in the morning, the witch wakes him up to the sound of his parents talking worriedly about how they can hear his voice in their house. And he knows it's like happening. Like she's like, she then did his voice to their house. Oh, wow. And then he is like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And then and like go check on my family and whatever. Like this is nuts. And he like leaves. But then he like leaves a note for John Bell that's like, "Um, I'm so sorry. I'm skeptical. (laughs) Clearly there seems to be a situation. (laughs) So (laughs) everyone's talking about it. And who would get word of this but the John Proctor? Major General Andrew Jackson. (gasps) Impeached president. And he's like, I'd like to go check out the fucking witch. Let's go. And he gets all his men and he's like, giddy up. And they like go and they have like their wagon and their horses and they're like, let's go to the Bell property. And then their wagon suddenly stops and they're like, oh, maybe it's stuck in the mud. The horses can't pull this wagon and they get out and they're like investigating and Jackson is like, I think it's the witch. The witch is what is making our wagon not be able to go. And as soon as he says it, they hear a woman's voice be like, okay, you can go. I'll see you later tonight kind of thing. And then their wagon like starts. And so then they go onto the property. They go up to the house. And one of the guys is like, don't worry. I'm a witch tamer. And I've got like this pistol, I've got silver bullets, and I can kill like anything, even a witch. And I think that the bell witch is scared of me. And then he just starts screaming (laughs) and like convulsing and like his body's (laughs) flying all over the place. And he's like, being stuck with like pins and needles and like I'm being badly hurt and then he gets like kicked in the butt essentially out of the house oh I thought he was lying I thought he was like just trying to scare the witch and that's what he was doing. no and then the, her voice is like well and I guess there's a fraud Andrew Jackson and she's like and not only that there's another fraud in your party and I'm gonna show you who that is tomorrow and all the guys are like we should go and <laughs> Andrew Jackson is like, hell no. I want to stay. I got to see who the other fraud is. Like, we got to stay, you guys. This is so fun. And so they're like all sleeping outside the Bell property in their tents being like, we want to go. And the next day they do. They do leave. They go back to Nashville. I don't know who the other fraud is, but hopefully she showed them. Sometimes she's nice. The only person she's really nice to is the matriarch of the house, Lucy. Yeah. And she, like, loves Lucy. She loves Lucy. So she's she calls her the most perfect woman to walk the earth. And she, like, constantly, like, <laughs> sings to her and, like, leaves <laughs> gifts for her. And then she's like, old Jack. I don't like that old Jack talking about the um, John Bell Sr., the dad. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't fucking like that guy. In fact, I'm going to kill him one day. I'm going to kill him. And they're like, Okay. Please don't. She, for years, is doing this. Years. She's living in the house. She's like another fucking kid. Might as well be. And she says that she doesn't want Betsy Bell to get married to their neighbor, Joshua Gardner. And so then this provokes people to say, maybe the person that's like conjured this or is like behind it is this guy, Richard Powell, who like has a crush on Betsy, wants to marry Betsy Bell. And maybe he somehow like summoned a witch to prevent this marriage from taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, maybe. A lot of people think it's Betsy. 
being the witch because she's a teenager. Yeah. So like everything's yeah. very like poltergeisty. Like it's got to be the kid. The kid's doing this for yeah. attention. The kid's doing this to like get attention from somebody she wants to marry and being like, oh, like there's all these rumors about who it could be. But right now we're talking poltergeist activity, strange as it all has been. But in 1820 in the winter, they can't wake John Bell up one day. And next to his bed is this vial that looks like it has, I don't know, like coffee in it. It's like dark liquid, steamy. And they're like, what the fuck is that? And he's just like in a coma. He's like not talking. They're like shaking him. And then the witch is like, you guys, it was me. I poisoned him. Ugh, I gave it to him. I wanted to kill him. Now he's dead. Relax. It was my plan all along. And they're like, really? So they do what any normal person would do, and they give the poison to a cat to see what happens. <laughs> and the cat dies. And they're like, I guess it was poison. And then John <laughs> Bell dies. And they're like, wow, you really killed him. And they throw the poison in the fire, and it goes and blue. Like the flames turn blue. And then everyone's devastated and Betsy breaks off her engagement with Gardner and doesn't get married to him that next year, which the witch didn't want her to get married. So all the witch's dreams come true. The reason we know about this nonsense story is at the end of the 18th, uh, like in 1890s, this guy Ingram writes a book about all of it and is like, this happened, this happened, this happened. The only weirdness is that like a lot of what he says if you hold it up to what a newspaper at the time said, it'll be in direct contradiction. For instance, things as simple as him being like, this is how the witch talked to them. And a newspaper from 1849 will be like, the witch only talked at night and all the lights had to be out. And the witch's one wish was that Betsy would marry Joshua Gardner. And you're like, oh, I thought it was that she wouldn't marry him. And they're like, no, it's that she would marry him. That's why people thought it was Betsy, is that she was the witch and she was like, please, I'll just want to marry Joshua. And you're like, the face you're making at me is so <laughs> And then people were like, oh, she was a ventriloquist and she could throw her voice. And it was her voice all along. And you're like, OK, maybe. I just don't know. They didn't get married. I know that much. I don't know what Ingram knew, but he's writing it like he knew it backwards and forwards. And that's why everybody else like knew the folklore. But there were all these witnesses that he noted. Then there are these paranormal investigators today that are like, we love ghosts, but hold up. Andrew Jackson, uh, his movements were very well documented during this time. This would have been. Like, he was journaling a lot. Like, we don't, there's just nothing that, like, indicates that this really crazy story about his wagon and him showing up with all these dudes and there being a fraud. There's just, like, no indication that that happened. And this would have been right before the 1824 presidential election, where he and his opponent went after each other. And you would think that if it was a known story that Andrew Jackson was like, I'm going to go see the witch, that his opponent would be like dragging him for doing that. Not so. The thing about it, because it's folklore, it lives on and on and on, even in a way where it's like a movie or something, and they're like, let's have sequels. So Kate's always coming back. In 1828, she comes back to see her friend Lucy. 
Yeah. Same activities as before, essentially. But um, everyone just kind of ignores her and is like, Kate, you like killed the dad. Like, it's too much. So she's like, well, okay, bye. And then she comes back in the 1930s and there is an owner of the farm that has what they refer to as Bellwitch Cave. There's Uh like a cave on the farm and he hears noises coming from inside it. And he also says like a paper object flew like out of his house and out the door and around and like there were all Forrest these set he heard piano music you know there's all these four scum definitely it was the bag from American Beauty like who knows sir it was a gust of wind relax um there's also though a group of people that went to a weenie roast nearby the cave and they a were joking roast? yeah a weenie roast they were yeah. roasting weenies on the fire it's the 30s Fun. And they're like, have you ever heard of the Bell Witch? And they're like talking about it because they're like, we're by Bell Witch Cave. Have you ever heard of the-? And then they see just like a woman sitting up on the cliff and they all go, ah! and like everybody runs, which sounds fun because I bet that did happen because it's very plausible. <laughs> then nothing happens for like 40 more years. And in 1977, there's a woman that comes forward to be like, you know, when I was but a girl many mm-hmm. years ago in the 40s, I was playing hooky and I left school and I got a lantern from the woman that owned Bellwitch Cave at the time and I said I wanted to explore it and I went on in and my lantern blew out. But I was in a cave. There was no breeze. And I kept going, kept going, was able to relight it. I go deeper. It blows out again. Why are you going deeper? She's a little girl. She's curious. She um, ends up being like, okay, it keeps blowing out. I have to leave. And when she goes back toward the entrance, she notices like that there's an open can of um, be- uh, beans or something. And there's like a bag of marshmallows. And she's like, OK, whatever. Later that night, she hears on the news that there were two escaped fugitives hiding out <gasps> in the cave. And she thinks the bell witch was blowing out her lantern to get her the fuck out. Like saved her. I'm into witches. I'm into it. A year later, staff writers for the Tennessean go to spend the night in the Bell Witch Cave. And they show up and they're like, this will be so fun. And then they hear a weird noise like deep in the cave. And they're like, it's like a groan. What should we do? So they keep hearing it. They go toward the entrance to be like, it's kind of coming from over there. What is it? And they're like, oh, it's a jet. Like, we're hearing the rumblings of a jet from in the cave, and it sounds like it's rumbling from deep in the cave, but it's a fucking plane. But while they notice that, from the opposite way, they hear a scream. (gasps) And they're like, I don't want to spend the night. And they don't. (laughs) That's so scary. Totally. And a year after that, there's an owner of a gas station near the Bell Witch Cave that's like, you know, there's a story. About my life, which is that 20 years ago, I ran out of gas at night. And so I was by the Bell Witch Cave and I'm like, fuck. So I start to walk to town and I see a rabbit come out of the woods and it starts fucking like staring at me and pursuing me. And I'm like, why would a rabbit chase a person? Did it have a dog body? Not the correct behavior. It was just a rabbit. But he gets scared and he starts running away from the rabbit and the rabbit like chases him. And then eventually, he's so tired, he, like, sees a log to sit on. He, like, sits down, and the rabbit comes, like, out of nowhere, sits down next to him, and turns to him and goes, 
hell of a race we had there, wasn't it? No. <laughs> Which does sound like the Bell Witch, doesn't it? That's just her personality. That would She's be what she do. Fun. I'm gonna say it. She's kind of a fun lady. I don't love that she killed him, but maybe he was a bad guy. Must have been. Maybe John Bell was a bad guy. Well, so here's the here's here's what we know. These days, there's an assistant professor of chemistry that's talked about the Bell Witch at a Science on Tap event and said, you know, I kind of want to, like, talk about this through modern eyes um, Mm -hmm. and not just in terms of, like, what emotionally it does for us, the folklore, which a lot of people like to talk about, why this has, like, sustained for so long, this this story. But she's like, I just really want to talk about the poisoning because we do know that John Bell and his whole family were real. Like, that is a proven thing. That entire family is real. His death is very real. So she's like, when I look into what we're hearing about how he's behaving and they're calling it hauntings, we can now apply a modern idea of biochemistry to that. And and we he, he's having trouble swallowing, right? His, his mouth was paralyzed is how it was described. But like he right. can't swallow. His tongue's heavy. Um, he was twitching like uncontrollably. And it was starting to impact him worse and worse. And it was moving through his body. She's like, basically... Nowadays, all that could happen and they'd be like, you need to go to a neurologist. And I think that he had something like was going on, but I think he was being poisoned slowly. And there were 50 known elements at this time. Ten of those would cause a blue flame. Looking into those, one of those elements is arsenic. Now, if you were to long-term poison someone with arsenic, a lot of the physical things would match what he was going through. And then if you finally got a big dose of arsenic, that would kill you. And if you threw arsenic in a fire, it would glow blue. Yeah. So she's like, I think that he was poisoned. And he had enslaved people on his land. It was known that a lot of them didn't mind poisoning their enslavers. Yeah. He also could have been an abusive husband. Remember, the witch loved Lucy and hated him is it, it is right. his wife poisoning him is his right. daughter poisoning yeah. him because of something related to the marriage and she, you know she points out it could have been somebody that didn't like him at the church we don't know who it was but i think i know what it was and i think it was arsenic poisoning anyway Whoa. that's a fun modern lens and that's the story of the bell witch Whoa. lover or lever love her lever i you know i a feminist she walked so those feminists could run <laughs> bell witch Holy shit. Well, thank you for telling that story, because I think we really needed that oh, story. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure, treasure. Hmm. Um, hey, dear listeners, like, subscribe, review. We love you. Rate, review, like, limbo. Elise Marie Owens said that we are so stinking funny uh, and that she was on a road trip trying to not pee her pants uh, laughing at us. Don't okay? pee your pants. She also said you should have a contest that dear readers could win. Where we get to be guest hosts on your show. <gasps> and then she said, great idea, right? Here's what I'm going to say, Elise. Wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> we don't need a bunch of bell witches all up in here. We should. You know, we, I was thinking what we should do. We're is not we sh- that likable in we person. Should do, you know what we should do? We should have like a monthly, a Patreon. We should have like a monthly hang. Oh, that'd be fun. Let's do that. And like do, do like a group hang on Zoom. Be like, yo, what's up? Let's do that. Okay. We'll like maybe add like a $10 tier and then whoever wants to, we do once a month hangs. Totally. 
20 take our clothes off <laughs> 50 naked hang 50 stingy pieces of my hair <laughs> so you can make a carry hair so you make a, you make a, a carry hair doll a voodoo doll of carry oh i love that idea cute. so many ideas between you and elise elise do you feel like you're here <laughs> i feel like you're here um we love you we'll see you next week Bye.